I, I think it was about 30 to 40 cases that Arrow said, you know, seemingly exhibited anomalous characteristics. So we had a lot more than one report that seems to play into the fact that something else is here. Welcome to the global phenomenon, surviving the survivor, where we're all just trying to survive in a rough world. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that brings you the very best guests in true crime and also now the supernatural. A show so serious tonight that I have brought out my green, I don't know, sticks here uh, for, for some ambiance, but uh, this is a fascinating subject to me. It always has been, and we're going to talk about why in just a moment. Of course, it is a special Sunday Night Live edition of Carm on the Case, who is here. Carm, I called you at 6.59, and you said you were running late. And what did I say to you, Carm? You you switched off the phone, and you said you cannot participate. I, I said I'm going to think about whether I will let you in or not, and I've decided my heart is warm on this Sunday night. My daughter's off to sleep away. She made it safely. And because of that, I decided to let you in. Uh, and tonight you're coming from an undisclosed, just like Art Bell on Coast to Coast, you're coming from an undisclosed location high above uh, in New, New Jersey. Jersey. New Jersey, not in the high desert, but high above New Jersey. Uh, so welcome to you, Carm. And now it is time to meet our best guest. But before that, in just the last few years, we've heard out-of-this-world claims about UFO sightings, also known as UAPs, or Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, uh, with commercial airline and military pilots both warning they've seen things in the sky they simply cannot explain. Just this past week, an Air Force veteran blew the whistle going public, claiming that the United States government has recovered materials that could be proof of UFOs, including, as I have to Mute Carm, because she's making ambient noise, uh, including an intact craft of quote-unquote non-human origin. Uh, once again, uh, this Air Force veteran claiming that the United States government, Uncle Sam and his buddies, have recovered materials that could be proof of UFOs, including an intact craft of non-human origin, but they are going uh, miles to keep it secret from the public and from uh, congressional oversight, which we're going to get to. So all this begs the question, are they here on planet Earth? Best guest tonight, the man with the purple headphones and glasses, that is Dan Setterstrom. He is co-host of that UFO podcast, and he's a boots-on-the-ground UAP investigator appearing in various documentaries, such as Phenomenology. Dan is also a creative who specializes in art and clothing based around anomalous encounters, spiritual ideas, and other high strangeness. Dan has also been instrumental in various media campaigns aiming to raise awareness of unidentified aerial phenomenon as part of a group of passionate individuals at UAP Media U UK. Dan regularly engages officials in the UK and abroad regarding the subject of UAP awareness. And as if that was not enough, we have Vinnie Adams, who my mom will refer to, I'm sure, as Winnie. He's a UK-based UFO UAP researcher 
and the founder of Disclosure Team, a social media platform and YouTube channel covering many aspects of the UFO phenomenon, including the latest news, case studies, and interview. Vinny is also a member, uh, like Dan, of UAP Media UK, a central resource on the UAP subject for Britain's members of parliament, national and local media, and private and public organizations. Vinny, too, is a boots-on-the-ground investigator. His work in this area includes annual visits to Colombia to investigate a 400-year-old light phenomenon as part of the phenomenology team. Dan, to you first, who I found via Twitter. Thank you so much for joining and just a reminder to uh, unmute yourself. Uh, you've been at this a while. How long exactly? I'm not sure you can tell us. But now that, um, you know, your group of like-minded individuals sp spent basically their entire lives, careers being made fun of, um, and now actually, you know, getting traction um, and getting legitimate media attention with an uh, opinion piece in the New York Times today. How does it feel to get this kind of sweet revenge right now? It's, it's interesting you put it that way. You, you know, revenge is, I try and hold it well, so I never want to say I told you so to anyone or anything like that. But there is a kind of, you know, I, I've met so many people who've had these anomalous experiences, who've experienced something strange that they can't explain. And moments like this are very vindicating and reassuring for people. You know, for the longest time, we all got told we were crazy. And now it seems that, you know, there's no smoke without fire. There's something to this. It doesn't really matter if you think the, the guy isn't telling the truth or whether he's being completely genuine. Something incredible is going on. Either the biggest kind of psyop we've ever seen or the most incredible life-changing thing for everyone on planet Earth is happening. And Vinny, a reminder to unmute yourself as well. But um, same question. I mean, you've been at this, and I know you and Dan are, are friendly. Um, behind you, it says, I want to believe. Are you getting closer to actually believing, um, especially with the latest revelation, which we're going to get into in detail with this UFO uh, whistleblower? And do you, too, now feel some sort of uh, justification, um, you know, as it relates to the public who, for all intents and purposes until now has basically mocked you sort of people for chasing this from a journalistic perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely feel some form of vindication, like Dan said, but it all kind of really changed back in 2017 when the New York Times uh, came out with this big article um, confirming the existence of a secret UFO program within the Department of Defense. And so over the last six years, we've really seen the stigma and the taboo on this subject really start to drop with scientists and academia getting involved in the in the subject you know it's really sort of led us to where we are today so that us tinfoil hat wearing crazies aren't actually that crazy anymore yeah uh carm i'm gonna unmute you myself uh carm try not to rustle papers please but uh sandra g says of course they are here they always have been the u.s criminal government enterprise keeps its people oppressed and thus will never reveal, uh, followed here by Shane. We're going to take a lot of STS Nation tonight. I'm so ready to hear this. So am I. Uh, and look at this. Look at this. This person is smart. The only person I trust on this subject is Joel. Uh, but Carm, <laughs> you, you were born, uh, not to reveal your age, but I do every week. You were born in 19... Excuse me? You can reveal it. 
She's already cutting me off. 1939, you were born. You're my mother, Carmela. Um, I was at a, a lunch today in Miami, as I am often with people who have um, exponentially more money than I have. And you know, that puts me in a sour mood. But today, um, these were all real estate guys, boring people who talk about square footage um, and make tons and gobs and oodles of dough uh, building buildings. And they all, when they heard I was doing this show tonight, stopped everything we're they were doing and said, we live in an infinite universe. There has to be something out there. Carmela, you've been around since 1939. Um, are you of the belief, everyone wants to know, that there are there is an other life form or multiple life forms out there, Carmela. I do believe in that because uh, the universe, there is not only one universe, if I understand it correctly, there are several universes. And even in the, in the Milky Way, there are so many planets that have similar conditions to ours that I don't see how on earth would it be possible that there is no intelligent life anywhere except on this puny little nothing of a planet? Carmelo, this show is going to get so big after this episode, Elon Musk is going to tweet about it. I'm absolutely certain of it, and I'm glad you could be a part of it because I was going to, uh, as I said, shut you out. And I know I'm going to get tons of hate mail tonight for coming down hard on you. You have no idea how hard I work on all of this content, Carmela. And for you to have the audacity to tell me you're running late when you have nothing but retirement Joel, Joel, in your life. Listen, Joel, we'll, we'll talk about all this after. after. I'm feeling very, I'm feeling very feisty about it. Okay. And then the, I'm not even going to tell you what the other thing that's annoying me, but we'll go on. Uh, so um, Dan and, and Vinny, I almost called you Winnie, Vinny. Um, and starting with Dan, what kind of seminal moment was it this week? And by the way, in about an hour's time uh, on News Nation, we're going to see a one-hour interview with Ross Coulthard. Uh, he's the one uh, who had the interview with his whistleblower, David Grush. And we're going to find out more information in this very evening that's going to make headlines come tomorrow. You're going to see this. This has been trending on Twitter. Um, but to you, Dan... Um, in terms of a seminal moment in your world, uh, how big a deal was this for David Grush to come forward? And please tell the audience who he is, and then we'll get into it. Sure. So David Grush is a gentleman who's been deeply involved with the U.S. government for years and years, and he's not been involved in the UFO subject. He didn't have an interest in it. And several years ago, the it was revealed, like Vinny said, that the Pentagon had a program running that was studying UFOs, or UAP as we now call them. Since then, the program has taken a few different forms. There are a number of senators that are pushing uh, the NDAA every year to have UAP-related language in it and set up offices. And they've been exploring this issue for, I think, three years now. We had initially the UAPTF, the UAP Task Force. Then we had one with a great acronym, which was AOIMSG, which was said AIMSOG. That was, I forget what the acronym was now, but it was something like the Aerial Something Management Office. It was, it was a bit of a mouthful. And now, now we have something called ARROW, which is the All Domain Anomalous. Um, Vinny, help me out, the BR. You're muted. Oh, you're muted. 
Sorry. It's the Old Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. Perfect. The Old Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. So this office has taken many forms over the past few years, since 2017, when the New York Times came out with their hard-hitting article revealing the Pentagon UFO program. Now, since then, we've had a few people come forward saying things that don't really amount to much more than stories, you know? And that's hard for people to get behind. Whereas this week, David Grush, someone with a long-standing relationship with the U.S. government, came out and said, hey, I was actually involved in the UAP task force, and I interviewed people who testified to me, hey, there are these programs, I've spoken to people from these programs who are studying UFO debris, who are studying craft, who are studying bodies, and I've testified that under oath to the U.S. Congress, I've made disclosures via the inspector general, and I'm involved with a law firm who's putting those disclosures forward for me, and there's an ongoing investigation into these claims. Now, one of the pinch points for this moment is, of course, that the gentleman who came forward, David, he didn't come forward with an actual craft to show people or pictures of bodies and things like that. But for me, it's one of these moments where finally we have someone coming out and saying, I've seen this stuff. I know this stuff exists. I've testified under oath and, you know, I'm willing to go to jail to kind of share these things with you. And the snowball is building bigger and bigger and bigger. And as I said, this has been going on for several years now. And David is just kind of the tip of the iceberg as we know it. We've heard before that there were craft, there were bodies, but no one of David Cal David's caliber has come forward to, to talk about this. And now he has. It's captured the world's imagination. And it's incredible to see people like yourselves, Joel, Calm, you, you too, um, really turning onto this conversation and going, hey, you keep saying this, there seems to be something going on and we want to know more about it because, like I said, it, it's going to be one of these big moments in human history. If we, if we can ever reveal that we're not alone, it's kind of the biggest moment since we crawled out of the ocean. And uh, I'll say this, uh, as an editorial, Carm, you're muted. Uh, I'll, I'll unmute you. In a I can control your interrupting now, Carmela. I, can, I love it. There's nothing you can do. Oh, uh, look, look, she's so trying to talk. <laughs> I'll unmute. Go ahead, Carm. Go ahead. No, one of the things that Dan, everything that Dan said is so, except you didn't mention that this gentleman, David Grush, is uh, validated in the sense that he's not a psychotic uh, person or a, or a person with emotional problems or a person who, who is, uh, he's a very solid uh, with a person with, with excellent credentials and great respect in his field. And that's very important because uh, the, his own uh, value increases if he's, if he's uh, validated by, the, by his peers. And Karm, I'll take it a step further. I mean, he's very well respected. And, and we're going to get into it because there's people that have come out and backed him. How amazing would it be if Elon Musk invented the mute button, Carmela? If I could mute you in real life, it would be... Joel, I'm going to get a lot. Of, I'm going to get a lot. Of, Joel, you have to implant something in my brain first. I'm going to get a lot of hate mail, but I'm muting you because there's ambient sound, but I will unmute yeah, you when you have a the attack, and I'm totally innocent. I'm in a different state. I am keeping peace. I'm a peace-loving person. Carm, you, you were demanding that I get high-caliber guests like this, and then when we are one minute from showtime, you're I not said, there. I said you have to get people who know about it. You're good. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Patty Barnett, an awesome channel, the fifth kind. 
Uh, Vinny is wondering what he got himself into. Um, <laughs> it's usually not as crazy as this. Um, I hope they are coming. Um, Janice P says from heaven straight to this world out. Uh, this reminds me of years. I listened to coast to ghost AM with Art bell. May he rest in peace. Love that radio show and all the alien discussions. Uh, I still listen to that when I go to bed every night, uh, which is probably going to harm my children in the long run because they, they come and listen to it with me. Uh, but it's a show that I've been addicted to followed by Sandra G here, which, uh, I'm taking issue with. I hope this is more elevated than just, they are here. Uh, Sandra, do I look like the kind of guy that would just give you clickbait? We're going to go in depth here and talk about this. I'm a journalist, Sandra. Now you sound like my mother here. Uh, we're going to go in depth. Uh, the thumbnail tonight frightens me. It's supposed to. The green lights that I went out and bought at Party City are not really working. Uh, but hopefully as it gets dimmer, they will. So, um, Dan, back to you here. Uh, and just, just very quickly here to reiterate what you said. This guy, David Grush, who came forward. Again, he's a decorated Air Force veteran. He made this bombshell claim that the U.S. government has recovered materials that could be proof of UFOs including an intact craft, again, of non-human origin, and went on to say that the U.S. government is purposely keeping this secret from the public. Um, he's a former member of the National, this David Grush, of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and National Reconnaissance Office. Uh, he blew the whistle. Uh, all these news outlets are um, coming out now. And this is a direct quote from him. Uh, these are retrieving non-human origin technical vehicles. Call it a spacecraft, if you will. Non-human exotic origin vehicles that have either landed or crashed. Um, Dan, before we go on with a little more in-depth on this, what got you personally so invested to the point where you're kind of dedicating your life to this now? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So when I was... A young kid, you know, I stumbled across the X-Files and I was interested in the mysteries of the universe. And I've always kind of had an itch to scratch with regards to space studies and everything that NASA do. And the James Webb telescope photos have just captivated me. But during lockdown, during COVID, this news started just pouring out and there was a lot going on. And it kind of just drew me back in to the point where I met Andy online and we started that UFO podcast. And our goal was to talk about it in a, the best way to explain it is to kind of if you imagine a spectrum of people is in all things, and at one end you have people that believe that there's no life out there whatsoever and we're completely alone, and at the other end you have people who are convinced they're in contact with you know, reptilians and Pleiadians and beings like that and just take it as a, a matter of fact. I would say Vinny and I, and, and especially Andy and I, we, we decided to kind of be centrists on the issue and kind of say, okay, let's look at the data here. Let's look at where you know where, we're pointed towards, when the winds are blowing. And let's just talk about it in this way. And it really seems to have captivated people's imaginations. There are a lot of people out there that want to have the conversation in this way as well. So the more we have the conversation has led to things like the, the Phenomenology TV show where we go into the field and we apply that kind of centrist perspective on it. And, you know, when someone tells us UFOs, we don't just go, cool, they're aliens. We ask for more detail. We ask for data and we kind of follow where that leads instead of just claiming that it's UFOs straight up or aliens straight up and, and assuming that. Uh, Vinny, 
I'm going to demand that you send me a hat. That's all I want. Um, <laughs> I want that hat. I want to walk around with that hat. Sarah says, ski hat, Sarah, my friend, who I hope is feeling better. I'm not scared of much, but I am scared of aliens. Please don't freak me out, Joel. And howdy, y'all. Uh, going back to this person, David Grush, who will once again be uh, um, you know, center in the headlines, especially after this interview this evening. Uh, he also served as a senior intelligence officer, officer in the National Reconnaissance Office. So he spent 14 years in total serving as an intelligence officer in the United States uh, government. So this is not, again, to Carm's point, Vinny, not just some, uh, you know, person who's, you know, crying uh, aliens or UFO spaceships out there. We actually, believe it or not, and we, we're going to get him tonight, but he's, he's traveling and hopefully not on an alien spacecraft. Uh, Carm and I had Dr. Avi Loban, who I know the two of you know very well, uh, has a book, Extraterrestrial, uh, Harvard professor, don't need to say much more than that. And he believes um, that he has seen um, an alien, what he believes an alien spaceship. Um, do you think that we are just sort of scratching the surface right now? And because David Grush came forward, are you now expecting others within the United States government uh, to step forward and substantiate the claims that he is making? Yeah, hopefully. I mean, it, he's come forward under the whistleblower protection from the National Defense Authorization Act, which allows for anybody that's worked in these legacy programs or who knows anything, they can come forward without reprisal. Uh, you know, and David, in the last couple of years, while he's been talking to people behind the scenes, there have been reprisals, and that's why he had the attorneys working with him. But, you know, you mentioned that he's had people backing him. He's had retired army colonels. He's had other intelligence officers saying that his character, you know, they've characterized him as, you know, beyond reproach. This guy is genuine. He is who he says he is. And yeah, the rumor mill is always uh, flowing in the UFO subject. And, you know, there are rumors of other whistleblowers coming forward in the near future. And that would just be amazing just to add more weight to, to what David Grush is saying. And Carm, uh, you bring a certain expertise. You are a licensed therapist and you watch this interview, Carm. Um, what did you make of him um, from, from a credibility standpoint? Well, as I said, uh, I am not, I did not watch him. I did not watch him, but from everything I read about him uh, and I read extensively about him, he is uh, an upstanding person. And uh, the, the question I have, having heard um, Dr. Loeb, Loeb also, um, this is a question I have, and maybe it's sidetracking us, but I, I want to ask, uh, isn't this a little bit of a cliche to imagine that the, that the spaceships look like the picture behind you, uh, behind Vinny on that poster? In other words, uh, the, the extraterrestrials could uh, have many other modalities and I would like to hear what are the possibilities of some of these modalities rather than this round little ship that comes down in E.T., you know? Vinny, why don't you grab that one and then we'll toss it uh, over to Dan after you take it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the iconic symbol is the, the, the disc, the flying saucer. 
But, you know, over the years, that's changed. We've had triangle-shaped UAPs. We've had the Tic Tacs. And then more recently, with David Grush coming out, he's described one as looking like a chopped-up helicopter. I mean, that's something that we've not really heard of before. So maybe it comes to, to show that the, the flying saucer isn't kind of the, the be-all and end-all. You know, orbs and, and spheres have come uh, uh, back into play, things that were seen during World War II. So I don't think it is as clear-cut as saying that flying saucers are just the, the typical UFO these days. I think there's a lot more to it and a lot more possibilities. Uh, and Dan, to you, look at this comment from Carolyn. Uh, my brother's life changed after witnessing a UFO fly slowly over his house. It was two football fields long. Um, when you get these reports, Dan, uh, number one, how seriously do you take them? Um, how do you document them? And also, how do you you know, address them? Because people must think that they're losing their minds a lot of times. Yeah, you, you've touched on some really important aspects of, of an experience here. You know, people can witness things and it can change them, even if they misunderstand the experience. So I've spoken to countless people who have seen things like Starlink in the sky, and they've taken away from that a profoundly, you know, different sense of life and connectivity to the universe. But then at the same time, I've seen some crazy things in the sky too. And I sit outside watching for satellites, watching for the space station, watching launches, so I feel like I'm, you know, reasonably well informed about what's in the sky. And I've still seen some things that kind of fall outside of what I would call a prosaic explanation, a normal explanation. So when people report things to me, I, I take them seriously and I hold them lightly. Because when you drill down on the data, you know, you say to them, oh, what was the weather like? Where were you? How far could you see? What time of day it was? The atmosphere and just physics in general can play tricks on you. But what's worth remembering is, and uh, Avi Loeb talks about this as well, as well as the head of Arrow, uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, that we only need one report out of all these hundreds of thousands of reports that people are, are reporting around the planet to be genuine. And I, I think it was about 30 to 40 cases that Arrow said, you know, seemingly exhibited anomalous characteristics. So we had a lot more than one report that seems to play into the fact that something else is here. And you'll, you'll have noticed that we don't really use the term alien or extraterrestrial. We say non-human intelligence. And that's because there are a multitude of explanations for this that, that could come into play. Khan mentioned earlier about there being multiple universes. And some people's favorite theory is that actually it's a version of us from an alternate universe that's able to visit this one and are kind of coming through in that way. There's also the crypto-terrestrial theory where the idea is that there are so many different forms of human throughout history. And the more we discover, the more we realize that we go back a lot further than we thought. Just last week, there was a, a discovery shared by uh, Professor Lee Berger about something called Homo naledi. And Homo naledi is kind of almost upending our understanding of hi history of humanity because we traditionally think that bigger brains mean more complexity. So humans or Homo sapiens had the big brain first, therefore we could use fire, we could use language, we could bury our dead, we could use symbology and have ritual and kind of build from there. And that's how we get to modern day. But it seems that there are other species with smaller brains that were doing exactly the same thing 200,000, 300,000 years before we were. And you have to remember, we've gone from no flight whatsoever to landing on the moon and casually kind of landing these automated rockets like SpaceX are within less than 100 years. And that's an astounding rate of progress. 
So if something else was on this planet sharing it with us and somehow were more advanced than us and could hide themselves, that comes into play as well. So that's known as the crypto terrestrial theory. And then we have the extraterrestrial theory where, you know, these beings from other planets have to traverse these vast distances between between our worlds to come visit us. So there are all sorts of explanations that could come into play. But really, we don't have the data to kind of say whether it's one or the other yet. Some people think that something that lives on Earth could be kind of managing its signature to make us think that it's from somewhere else. And it, it's a really interesting conversation. And it kind of gets into philosophy a lot uh, when, when you drill down. And for me, that's the fascinating part. When we look outward to something other, it doesn't just ask what we think of them, but it makes us think about what it means to be human, what it means to be us, what we want to step foot into the universe with. And that's kind of a, a big, profound, magical moment for humanity, especially with the world, how it is. You know, there's a lot of chaos, a lot of war going on. And we can reflect on that and kind of think, you know, if we were to meet our star brothers and sisters, what foot would we want to put forward? Do we want them to see us as a, a warmongering species? Or do they want to see our best sides and see kindness and development and communication and ritual and symbol, you know? Um, it's hard to define what it is. But to speak to Calm's question, um, the, the whole saucer thing comes from a gentleman named Kenneth Arnold in the 40s. He was flying over Mount Rainier in America, and he saw things that he described as almost saucers skipping on the water. That's how they move. So, you know, kind of when you throw a stone on water, it kind of bounces. That was the movement he described. And over 30, 40, 50 years, that kind of got misconstrued in the media from these boomerang-shaped objects or kind of... In the UK, we have a 50 pence piece that's kind of curved on the front and angled at the back. That's what he described them as, but that kind of got morphed into this saucer idea. So the place that saucer originates, there were no saucers. So you're exactly right to call out the shape and say, why do they all look the same? Um, and yeah, you're correct. There are many, many different shapes there. There are many different things that appear to be visiting, whether they're all different craft from one species, we can't say, but there appear to be multiple at play. Uh, Eduardo Fernandez saying hello from Brazil. Happy to have Brazil in the house. Um, and uh, Trinity here. Hello, everyone from Las Vegas, home of the latest UFO sighting. We're going to get into that. Don't think I haven't heard about that. Uh, RLSM says aliens seem to be all the rage right now. Not for Dan and Vinny. Been uh, at this for uh, many years. Elizabeth saying. Uh, hi, Joel and Carm. I already hit the like button before the show even starts because I know I'm going to love it, and I hope you guys are enjoying it so far. As you can tell, by the way, uh, Dan and Vinny aren't two quacks out here. They're very measured. The British accent helps for sure. Uh, they're intelligent guys, and they they look for evidence and facts to back up what they're saying, and uh, that is what we are uh, showing you here this evening. Um, back to this David Grush here. So he says that he was refused access to materials uh, that are recovered by this program that include these physical evidence of crafts. Um, and his quote uh, on this is, I thought it was totally nuts. And I thought at first I was being deceived that it was all a ruse about these non-human uh, crafts. Uh, but he said that people started to confide in me. They started to approach me. I have plenty of senior former intelligence officers that came to me, many of which I knew almost my whole career, that confided in me 
that they were part of a program. Vinny, what's it going to take the U.S. government? And I'll, I'll read some excerpts from their statement. Uh, the Pentagon uh, at a press briefing already pushed back on this, basically, you know, trying to assault his character. And uh, for my 25 plus years in journalism, uh, one example, we had a whistleblower who worked for the FAA. Uh, he worked at the Westchester Airport when Barack Obama was president. And that's when uh, uh, the president, Barack Obama, was flying in and out of that airport. And we obtained video of air traffic uh, controllers sleeping on the job. They were also using their smartphones, which is illegal. They were also using laptops, all illegal in the air uh, in the uh, air traffic control tower. And what happened when he blew the whistle? The FAA uh, basically fired him and threw him under the bus. The government does not like to be squealed on. So, Benny, to you, what kind of uphill battles is going to be for David Grush and anyone else who comes forward to try to prove that what they are saying is in fact true. Oh, you're muted. You're muted. I'm sorry. It's all right. It's no problem. Sorry about that. Yeah, there's always going to be pushback. Uh, you know, this office, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, is quite a young office. And the director, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, is currently running under what's called Title 10 authorities. And the office, to be able to take these whistleblower claims and investigate them fully, they would actually need to operate under Title 50 authorities. So they don't actually have, they're not able to function under the mandate of Congress at the moment. So, you know, if they hear, oh, you know, a whistleblower telling uh, that these programs exist, they don't have the, the power to go and investigate it. So it's no surprise that they're saying that they've got no evidence of extraterrestrials because they're not able to get to the data. Now, we, what we have had, like you said earlier, is that we've had these other people coming up, coming out, sort of backing Grush. One gentleman in particular, Jonathan Gray, a generational intelligence officer who worked in the National Air and Space Intelligence Center. He has come out saying the non-human intelligence phenomenon is real. We are not alone. Retrievals of this kind are not limited to the United States. This is a global phenomenon. And yet a global solution continues to elude us. So we're seeing very high ranking officials backing the claims of Grush. I guess what the public is crying out for is we want to see the, the evidence. We want to see these craft. You know, enough's enough. The stories only go so far. But it's going to be a battle. But we'll get there in the end, I feel. I have, I have a question. Um, let's for a minute imagine that there is a positive proof that there are such a things as extraterrestrial events. How would that affect, let's say, the government of a country like the United States or the people or, or the people? Damn. What would be the what would be the dangers or the negatives or or the positives. I don't. I don't. I don't know. But it would be an interesting thing to follow through. Why are they so protective of information? Dan, that's that's such a good question, Cam. And there are so many different kind of ideas floating around for that. But part of the conversation in recent years has been, if, for example, Roswell happened and it was a genuine ET craft that crashed and they protected it, why would they do that? What is the motivation behind that? And the thing that keeps coming up again and again and again is that the technology that was in this craft 
is so fundamentally different to ours and so much more powerful that unleashing this technology would not only upend the oil industry and various other things and kind of bottom out markets, but it would also give access to a really powerful technology to people that might have less than stellar intentions with it, you know? Imagine something like, so for example, they say to, to do this space travel, to do a warp drive, have a function in one, the energy needs to be more than the energy that our sun outputs. Now imagine someone doing something like a terrorist attack with that much power if they had access to this. And you can kind of start to see, oh, okay, maybe we shouldn't kind of let that energy technology out and, and give access to this. But at the same time, that could be a Hail Mary for where we are in the world. You know, we have global warming going on. We have so many countries that have energy issues that finally people would have essentially have free energy. You know, we, we'd be able to fuel our cars or, you know, all have spaceships like in the Jetsons um, because we'd finally have that energy surplus. What is correct in that is anyone's guess. But another thing that comes up, Cam, I don't know if you remember, a there was a, a movie called Contact, and it was based on a book named Contact by uh, the famous Carl Sagan, an incredible astronomer and, and science communicator. Yeah. And the idea presented there is that people had these experiences, they found these technologies, but they don't understand them. So rather than going in front of the world and saying, hey, look, we found this and we don't know, that they're kind of biding their time until they do know and they can present something that, that is explosive in a, in a very data-led way that convinces everyone. How that would change the world is, I mean, we saw what happened with COVID, right? I don't think people are going to be running out and stealing all the toilet paper. It's going to be exponentially more dramatic. So a part of me feels like that this since 2017, where you've kind of had this slow rollout of little bits of information until, you know, we've gotten here and we'll go beyond this as well. Part of me thinks that this is happening so that when it is revealed, people almost don't care. You know, they're not going to run out of their houses and say, I'm not going to work tomorrow. I'm not doing this. You know, the world isn't as I know it anymore. They're going to just take it in, in step. Well, they're not running out of their houses now. Uh, with the with the nuclear bomb, you know, they, absolutely. So and, we, and we have that stuff in a, in a, maybe in a milder form, but uh, maybe that's more horrible and horrific than what we have. But we certainly have enough. Which brings me to one more question, and then I'll shut up, Joel. And you love me. Again. I love your questions, please, Carm. You can ask away, Carm. No, I I don't know where I ran into this that. The reason we don't get enough uh, alien content, sorry, you can't use extraterrestrial <laughs> contact, is because civilizations on other planets, when they get to a certain point, very rapidly they destroy themselves. Yeah, and this is referred to as the great filter that once you achieve a certain level of, of technology that you kind of implode. There was a, an amazing scientist called Sir Francis Drake, and we have his daughter on that UFO podcast this week, and she was speaking about it. He came up with something called the Drake Equation. And the Drake Equation essentially is kind of saying, okay, how many stars are there in the universe? How many of those stars have planets around them? How many planets are capable of sustaining life? out of all the planets that are capable of sustaining life, what percentage actually develops life? And the percentage of that life that actually translates to space travel 
how how many are there so even if you plug in the smallest conservative amount of numbers there's still a crazy amount of life out there and it leads to the question of okay well if all this life is out there why aren't we seeing it and one of the theories is what you refer to the great filter that there's something in the development of life that says essentially is a wall that if you can't get past it you'll extinguish yourselves so Maybe we're not seeing this life out there because a great filter exists and they keep imploding. One of the other ideas that's a solution to the great filter or the Drake equation is that maybe, you know, the universe is 14 billion years older and we keep finding that it's older and older and older. So the thought is that maybe we're not alone. Maybe our, our presence here is just off a little bit and all these other civilizations developed earlier on in the universe. So they've extinguished themselves and we can no longer interact with them. This is something that Dr. Avi Loeb is a big fan of, this idea that there could be technological remnants just roaming the universe unused and the species that made them is no longer here. But we had um, Oumuamua um, uh, is, the, is the one that Dr. Avi Loeb speaks about a lot. And it was the first extrasolar object we found, i.e. the first object that's from outside our solar system coming in. It had a whole bunch of readings about it that were just strange. And no matter how you look at it, either it's a, a new form of asteroid or meteor that we haven't come across yet that would change science, or it's a technological remnant. And Dr. Avi Loeb's idea, as crazy as this may sound, is, hey, if we set up a mission and we have it funded, next time we see one of these things, we can just launch the mission and take a picture of it and the argument's over. And that's a really nice kind of idea. But it's amazing to me how many people are, are against even entertaining the notion of doing that on the off chance that it's a technology from another world. So what Dr. Avi Loeb is doing with Project Galileo is, is really enriching to the subject. And like Vinny said, it's removing the stigma and it's starting to be able to answer certain questions like, where is everybody if we're not alone? So let um, me, just one second, let me see if I understood this. If the universe is take a billion years here and there, 15 billion years. And then civilizations developed, um, let's say, 11 billion years ago. They kind of be past each other. Like we came, like Johnny came lately. We came later when they were already finished. Exactly. That's the perfect way to put it. I love that analogy, Cam. Thank you. Carm, always much smarter than myself, by the way. I love uh, Dan's got these wind chimes and he's like, uh, ominous clouds. So I'm waiting for either uh, aliens, what a brilliant aliens or UFOs to come out of these clouds behind him. Um, quick story about Avi Loeb, uh, Doctor Avi Loeb. To me, uh, we were just starting the podcast, then. we had some high-profile names on. He was one of them, and I had a bad tendency to ask guests for help to promote us because I'm always looking to get Surviving the Survivor out there. And Carmela reprimanded me on the drive over to the studio that day. And she said, don't dare ask him for anything. Ask him what we can do for him, invoking the JFK, what can you do for your country? So at the end of the episode, I did ask Dr. Avi Loeb. I said, Dr. Avi Loeb, how can we help you? And without missing a beat, he said, I could use $150 million for a telescope, the Galileo Project. So if anyone listening has $150 million uh, to give to Dr. Avi Loeb, Please do so. He needs a telescope so he can look at this stuff. Um, Vinny, channeling the heart here, uh, says there are indications, and this is so vague, that this recent whistleblower is part of the deep state's 
false UFO threat and fake invasion. We're going to hear this a lot from the cynics. And then, Carmen, I have a question for you. How do you respond to these sorts of comments? I mean, I don't know what they mean by indications. David Grush uh, has been vetted by multiple sources that I know of personally. Um, he is who he says he is. Um, and now it's up to the Congress to decide whether the information that he's brought forward is the truth. But yeah, we are always going to get people saying he's part of a deep state and thing. But there is no evidence to show that, in my opinion. That nothing has come out at all. Um, and, and right back to you, Vinny, on this one from Mountain Girl. Uh, been a big Alien fan for years. Sounds like a, like a Bruce Springsteen fan. Uh, does the panel think these sightings are from other planets or intraterrestrial sightings? The American Indians felt that they were star ancestors returning. Uh, Vinny? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can look all over the world at indigenous tribes and indigenous people that have, you know, you, you see cave drawings of things that look like UFOs or aliens, as it were. Um, and so it does beg the question, what were they seeing? Where were these these things coming from? Uh, were they stories passed down through generations? Were they genuinely interacting with, with a non-human intelligence many, many moons ago? So, yeah, you know, history is always important to bear in mind when looking at this subject. It's not just about the here and now. Adding all of the information in together paints a really clear picture. The question is, was it extraterrestrial or intraterrestrial, interdimensional? These are the things that Dan was mentioning earlier, the many different theories about the origins of a non-human intelligence. So, yeah, I think it's worth noting that the stories we hear from indigenous people really should be added to the picture. And Vinny, same question I asked Dan a while ago. What got you um, motivated to make this, uh, you know, a career and a passion of yours? I suppose in my early twenties, I, I was kind of into the esoteric, asking sort of the bigger questions in the universe. Um, you know, and I was always a fan of documentaries on, on the subject. And eventually, I, it just left me wanting to know more. So I spent about sort of twelve, thirteen years digging through declassified document archives on the subject just to see what little tidbits are out there and, and trying to paint a picture for myself. And then that led to, you know, um, again, during the pandemic, starting to put this information out on social media, starting my own uh, podcast where I've interviewed 150 people in the last two years on the subject. And it's just been growing from there. And Vinny's uh, podcast is The Disclosure Team, as you see there on YouTube. And Dan is That UFO Podcast. Uh, please check it out. These guys are the real deal. Um, Mabel, I have got to stop and, and say that you're possibly the most important comment, uh, not because you're saying hi from the UK, uh, as these gentlemen are both from, but my beloved Mabel Rose of 17 years past December 26. And there's not a day that goes by where I do not think of my puggle, my beagle pug mix, Mabel Rose, who I had before my wife and my three kids. What I would do to scratch her armpit one more time, but Mabel <laughs> lives on in our memories. Uh, Sarah says, Carm. Baby Doll says, Carm. Uh, Jen, Jersey Jen Castaldi says, Hey, look at Carm in her own space. We do let her out. She's spending, Carm uh, is on the move now uh, in New Jersey at an undisclosed location, soon to be in the Holy Land at an even uh, more <laughs> undisclosed location. Easier to mute me when I'm not sitting next to him. Oh, is it ever, Carm? Is it ever? A uh, question for you, my dear mother. Um, the cynics, we just saw one in the comments, doesn't believe any of this. 
Um, is there a certain level of arrogance, Carmela, among the human species to think that we would be alone in this vast, as you said, multi-infinite universe? Well, I don't want to open a Pandora's box. Please do. But a bot, on the, and then I proceed to opening it. But I am wondering how it affects organized religion. That must yeah. be also a very strong. Um, and that, yeah. that's a that's a big uh, big barrier to get through. But Dan, that is, I have to say, from Carmela's, she's pretty smart, sharp for eighty three, almost eighty four. Uh, Dan, how do you respond to that? Um, it would shake up uh, traditional religions. It, it's an incredible question because, yeah, you're absolutely right, Cam. There's, there's this expectation that we're special. And, and Joel, you put it as arrogance a second ago, and you're both exactly correct. You, you know, there's, we, we have to come to terms with not being God's chosen ones. And a few years back, the Catholic Church actually did a kind of a gathering of, of their you know, most important figures. And they discussed this, this extraterrestrial hypothesis to kind of say, you know, if we're not alone, does that change how we think God looks at us, you know? Um, and they actually came out of that with a bit of a press release kind of saying, if there are aliens, you know, they're, they're free to be Catholic. They're free to have a God. They're free to be kind of integrated into all that. And I thought that was a really beautiful, inclusive thing. When it comes to religions outside Catholicism, it gets a little more interesting. If you look at, you know, the, the Eastern religions, for example, they have a space in their religion already for another world that overlays ours where things like the jinn kind of live. Um, jinn is genie, if, if people aren't aware of that. And that's what that, you know, the blue genie and Aladdin derived from this, this idea of jinn. And jinn are referred to as, they call them smokeless fire. Essentially, think of a human without a physical body. So just a spirit. And they say that these beings lived and they, they're as real as we are. So, like you say, the, not all religions don't have a space for something other in there. Um, but certainly, you know, one, one of the most predominant ones, Catholicism, there they would be a need to kind of integrate it. And even though the church came out and said, you know, the aliens could be Catholic, the aliens could have their own gods, it still kind of fits into our framework. Of course, there would be more kind of extremes and different, different kind of opinions in that spectrum as to whether it meant we were less special or whether God made them or whether they made us and they kind of take the place as, as God then, you know, they being the ETs. Um, they, there's an idea called panspermia that varies depending on, you know, where you are on the, the ET spectrum, but it basically comes down to the idea that life on Earth was seeded from somewhere else, whether that means intentional seeding or microbes on a meteorite coming from another planet and mixing with microbes here and kind of creating us. Uh, that that's anyone's guess, but there is certainly a place in in UFO law to kind of accept that something else played God to humanity, and and it's going to be interesting seeing how that becomes integrated. Wow, that's super fascinating. Uh, not to sound self-absorbed, it is now pouring behind Dan. Imagine what it would do for our show if an alien just opened that screen door and snatched Dan right out of our midst. He just disappeared. The show would blow up, Carm. The show would blow up. I would hope that Dan would be okay. Uh, Vinny, in the zone, uh, where are the bodies? Um, I don't know if this person is necessarily a cynic or just asking the question, uh, but that is always the question. Show me the money, right? That's the proverbial American cliche. Show me the money. 
Um, what do you say to these people who want more and more proof, not just a David Grush saying this is what's going on? I'd say I'm in, I'm in the same boat as them. I want to see the proof as much. But when people like David Grush do come forward, we need to, to pay attention because he's telling us that these UFOs, and he's mentioned bodies as well, now they're concealed within multiple agencies nesting in very small secret access programs. And only a very select few have a need to know on, on the fact that these exist. So, you know, when people say it's the government are hiding these things from us, it's kind of not true. It's only a very, very small faction within the government who have been hiding this for, as David Grush has come forward, saying 90 years now, because he said that he's been briefed on a crash retrieval that happened in Italy in 1933, again, that included bodies. So, you know, I say to people, I want to see it too. Let's uh, let the Congress do their job now and get to the bottom of this. And hopefully, you know, they'll come forward to, to not only the American people, but, but the world and, and let us know that this is true. And I'm glad Vinny brought that up. Carmi, you have a question. Uh, these, uh, when, when Mr. Grash was talking to the other people who work on these programs and they were telling him these stories, what are they afraid of to come out and join him? Um, th or go ahead, Vinny. Go ahead. No, I was just quickly going to say, you know, this is the, there are reasons for these UFO uh, whistleblower protection laws coming in. People have been, you know, struggling with this behind the scenes for many years, for decades. We've heard about deathbed confessions over the years of people that have worked or, or have. have, have had a need to know and and they've not been able to tell anyone for fear of reprisals or even death you know being taken out by by the government as it were threats at their families and things like that i think you know that, that this has happened in the past and it's genuinely scared people uh, but now you know what all it takes is someone like david grush to come forward to start the ball rolling so that more and more see that it's actually okay that they are protected uh raul thomas says carm here it goes carm it's starting uh, Patty G says, Carm is out of range to give Joel his backhand slap. Uh, good evening, STS Nation. Um, and someone else, where'd it go? Uh, so, oh, look at that. Marina says, Carm is autonomous tonight. It's going to be lit. Um, OMG, I love Carm so much. But a few other people were yelling at me for muting Carm. That's my point. Um, Dan, back to you here. So, David Grush claims that the materials recovery program was, this is very interesting, was shielded from proper congressional oversight, meaning they're even trying to run it uh, beneath the radar of the U.S. government. Um, an unclassified version of the document provided to the debrief, uh, which is a well-known, um, I don't know how you would describe it, but they cover uh, alternative media publication, let's put it that way, uh, say... Uh, the debrief says that Mr. Grush has direct knowledge that UAP-related information is being withheld or concealed from Congress to purposely and intentionally thwart legitimate congressional oversight of the UAP program. Dan, before I get to you, let me ask Carmela. Um, you're paranoid. Are you that paranoid, Carmela, to think that they are purposely hiding this program from the United States government, from the oversight uh, committees? You mean that they're hiding it from Congress? 
yes, or uh, do you believe that that is part of this, that he's telling the truth here? I I have no idea. It's possible. I'm paranoid enough not to say yes. So <laughs> they don't come after me. Um, this is interesting. We always hear this on Coast to Coast, and people in, in, in Dan and Vinny's world, uh, they, they're familiar with this. Uh, Dan, to you, um, from David Guagamela, crop circles, cattle mutilations. Uh, there's this phenomenon worldwide where we see uh, herds of cattle being mutilated. No one knows why. And these massive circles that you can see from... Carmen, are you familiar with this? Yes, I am. I, I have to remember, like like in corn or, or in wheat, and they make these circles, and uh, they nobody knows who did it. By the way, this is a funny comics. I forgot to take. Usually, I take you down, but there's two carms. Joel's dream comes true. <laughs> um, so your nightmare, your nightmare, true. Dan, what what about these crop circles and cattle mutilations? Uh, what is the response? How do you uh, how do you explain that away? Yeah, the I mean the crop circles and cattle mutilations. I'm just going to separate them so I can answer the question for you. Crop circles they go way back. There are appearances of them hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And in, in recent years, um, some people came forward and said, you know, we made them, the ones in South of England, and they kind of claim to, to be human-made. Um, that does happen. But there seem to be a number of them where when people go with, you know, um, kind of uh, meters that measure the, the electromagnetic electromagnetism sorry the thunder threw me off and lightning behind me it's getting really dramatic here um, it's, get, I'm you, it's getting <laughs> it's getting more and more supernatural because we're hearing feedback <laughs> through your mic from that lightning dan i'm waiting oh, for you really? to get, you're going to get snatched in real time here so buckle <laughs> up we're Wear a seatbelt, but go ahead, Dan. <laughs> um, I promise if I get abducted, I'll I'll do a live show from the UFO and you guys can <laughs> see you. all inside it. Um, but yeah, the, the crop circle is an interesting one because some exhibit some weird electromagnetic effects and people haven't been able to figure them out. I wouldn't like to say whether they're ET or something else, um, but it's worth keeping an eye on. It's an interesting phenomena. Um, it could be completely natural, but we, we just don't know. Cattle mutilations is, is a little more interesting there is a a number of ranches kind of around the world that experience these things on a regular basis and they've never been able to capture it on camera then you have aspects of it like the cows are found you know they were alive one second and then a person looked away for 30 seconds and they look back and the cows have these almost perfectly laser cut incisions in them they're missing tongues they're missing eyes and it's a really curious phenomena one of the ideas that have been put forward is that there's a kind of government program to track diseases like prions and things like that throughout the population. But again, that the whole idea of that happening within 30 seconds is really curious. You know, how do humans pull that off? So again, it's one of these things that you kind of, I call them spinning plates. I don't really have an answer for them. I'm curious about them. I'll put the spinning plate on the stick and it'll just keep going until I can answer that properly with data. Carmela? Uh, this is going to make you very nervous to answer. Do you trust the United States federal government? If I say I I don't, they'll come after me. So I, <laughs> of course I trust them. Okay. I just wanted to get it on the record. Um, Vinny, to you, a very simple question that's uh, often postulated. Uh, since we inhabit this planet, why can't other planets be inhabited? What's your answer? Yeah, it's a pretty simple question. I suppose the, 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 
to simplify it with a simple answer that well yeah that of course other planets can be if we look at uh, you know planets that reside in in the goldilocks zone with relation to the distance from their star if everything's correct atmos- atmospheric wise then other carbon based life forms such as hum- humans there could be a version on, on another planet out there or even if it's something completely different to to carbon based you know, there are all sorts of possibilities. So, yeah, absolutely. There could be there could be everywhere, teeming throughout the galaxy and the solar system and, and the universe. Mm. Can, I, can I just jump in on that as well? Absolutely. Uh, at, at the recent NASA panel, they, they did, NASA are doing a UAP study, an independent one, which is amazing and, you know, very science-led. And they were talking about how would we even find life if we were to see it? Because it could be so far out of what we know that we might not recognize it. And I think that's worth touching on because we we always look for life as we know it because Earth is the one example that we know harbors life. So we look for similar conditions. We look for similar life forms to us. But when you look around Earth, there are some crazy life forms. You know, you look at the bottom of the ocean and you see these giant glowing squid that light up and seem to signal through light. And they seem fairly intelligent, you know. So you got to think how amazing would it be if not just looking at the moons of Europa and, oh, sorry, a moon like Europa and finding uh, uh, crustacean life there, but also what could life look like further out if it didn't have the building blocks that we have? How would we even identify that needle in the haystack? We're just going to end up searching through the haystack and throwing a bunch of stuff out that we thought wasn't life, and it could be life. So it's really hard to to even define life as as it could be, let alone find it on another planet. So it's really fascinating watching the James Webb Telescope try and read the signatures of planets to look for technology signatures. So, you know, smoke plumes and different chemicals in the atmosphere that could give away that life was operating there. We had it just a few years ago with the phosphine on Venus. And it wasn't immediate. It's been a, there's been a lot of controversial conversation about it. But it turns out we have to wait for five years for them to send another probe to, to test the atmosphere and to see if life does exist there. But that will be life as we didn't know it, as opposed to life as we know it. So it's it, we need to think a little bit outside the box here. And it's great with the, the advent of the UAP subject and stuff like David Grush coming out. More and more people are having that seed planted and being inspired to even consider the possibility. Whereas you look back 100 years ago, and people didn't even believe that meteorites fell from the sky. They were mocked. And now it's just a commonplace thing. Same with gravity waves. 10 years ago, they weren't a thing. Now I can get an app on my phone that tells me when a gravity wave is detected. So there's constantly new science being found and new ways to look for life. So we just have to keep thinking outside the box a little bit and, and know that really we don't we don't know, know anything. Yeah, it's uh, there's the old saying, we don't know what we don't know. And in this case, uh, that could not be more true. Raul Thomas, to digress for one second. Uh, Variety has reported the new STS studio will be named Studio Carm. That is incorrect. However, um, I might, well, I'd be stealing from, uh, I guess, Joe Rogan. I have to give it some sort of uh, alien spaceship name. But uh, the chief technical officer has been um, kind of delinquent in her duties. We are a couple of weeks behind schedule, but uh, we doubled down this past week, hoping to have the studio ready to go as early as this week, and I can assure you one thing, Carmela will have plenty of comments and she will immediately t- tell me how she hates it uh, before she even looks at it. And it's all a secret to her. It will be hopefully unveiled uh, later this week. The, with a little bit of tec- the chief technical officer is my daughter-in-law, Joel's wife. 
Yes. And, and she, like you, is a procrastinator and has a tendency to get out of duties uh -huh. that are... I'm, I'm the only one around here that, that, that works. But... Uh, yeah, but I just to ask something. Um, I didn't, you know, invent the... By the, the way, Carmela, I do all the work, but look at this comment. Love you, Carm. Been a fan since day one. You're okay, too, Joel. Go ahead, Carm. Yeah. Um, you know, I am not reinventing the wheel, but why couldn't the communication be like it just so happens that the man who who discovered the big bang theory of the universe uh, his name is arno penzias with a guy wilson they got the nobel prize for it they happened to be next be our next door neighbors when joel was growing up and true story <laughs> It was Arno Penz hold on one sec. Arno Penzias, who won a Nobel Prize in physics for the Big Bang Theory, would come to our house and change our clock because my dad was the least handy man ever to live. So we had a, a Nobel laureate changing the clock in our kitchen. Go yeah, ahead. But but the, the this this happened, uh, if I understand the Big Bang Theory, was through shortwave um, radio waves. Now, why couldn't the aliens communicate with us with shortwave? Um, in other words, not necessarily send um, a ship, but send, you know, Morse code. So, Dan, to you, I think the question Carmelo is asking is uh, they could communi communicate in other ways. Why land here on Earth? Again, a, a really great question. You know, the Drake equation that I touched on earlier is only talking about other civilizations communicating through radio waves. Whereas uh, I just mentioned gravity waves, for example, a technologically superior civilization that could generate their own gravity waves might well be sending Morse code through them, but we don't have the apparatus to pick that up yet. And so it might as well be silent to us, right? Um, if you call my house and I don't have a phone, I don't even know that you've called. So there are all these messages that could be flying about and flying past us that we're just unable to pick up because we're not technologically advanced enough. And to go the other way as well, to think about radio waves, that's kind of, you know, we've had radio waves for a while now, we've been using them for radio, for TV, things like that. So to think that an advanced civilization would still be using radio waves, it would kind of be an archaic system for them to use. And you know, maybe maybe they have some quaint people who, who refuse to use technology, you know, the, the kind of version of the Mormons, for example, maybe, uh, where they're just like, no, we're not using this one technology, we're going to keep using these radio waves. But it's not it's not likely, right? And And the way to think of it, you know, science works in probability, it doesn't work in absolutes. So it's unlikely that civilization would use radio waves, but it's quite likely that they'd use a form of communication that we're only just starting to realize even exists. It was interesting you mentioned the Big Bang Theory and that the gentleman that came up with that won a Nobel Prize because now the Big Bang Theory is being questioned. And that was something that we held up as this big factoid of science that everyone could take to the bank. And now we kind of think, well, maybe it's not a Big Bang. Maybe the universe goes in cycles and it expands and contracts. And this is a constant kind of process. We don't know the answer to that. But the progression of science works through people, like you mentioned, making discoveries and, and getting data. And then the community kind of peer reviews it and they say, well, this doesn't work, but this does work. 
and we kind of zero in on on a on a solution essentially we already know that einstein's theory of general relativity is wrong because it doesn't make space for black holes or what they call singularities yet we took a picture of a black hole a few years ago so we know that science is incomplete so we've just got to keep doing that search and following the data and the uap issue is no different one of the people looking at that Big Bang Theory now is a guy named Dr. Alan Guth at MIT. Another very small world uh, uh, thing is that he also is from our hometown in New Jersey. Went to the same high school as I was older than I am, but uh, he is uh, doing a lot of work looking at uh, how light has traveled since the, you know, essentially the Big Bang. Uh, how he does that, I do not know, but I interviewed him one time. And uh, it was straight out of central casting. He had a chalkboard behind him. First of all, he had papers everywhere and a chalkboard with bizarre equations, uh, literally on a green chalkboard. It was straight out of a movie. Um, the guy is levels of genius that I cannot even comprehend. Um, Dan talked about this a little bit. Michelle Burns uh, and Vinny, I did not ask you, have either of our guests had a direct experience with UFO or aliens? So, uh, Vinny, Dan says he's seen uh, what he believes are UFOs or now referred to more commonly as UAPs. Uh, how about you? Have you had an experience? Uh, I'll say yes. You know, you mentioned in the bio at the very start of the show that, that me and Dan have both been out in Colombia the last few years working on a, a 400-year-old case involving, involving a strange light phenomena that's seen on this particular mountain peak in a rural valley in, uh, in, in Colombia. So we went out there this year, we went out last year, and in the, uh, last year, the first year we were out there, we actually managed to witness this strange light phenomena that can't be explained at all. So yeah, I've seen it. Um, we've tried to kind of do some experiments into working out what it is. It is an ongoing investigation. So at this point, to me, uh, I have experienced something anomalous. Dan, can you explain? I had never heard of this. Someone tweeted this at me today, which doesn't say much because I haven't heard of a lot. Uh, Carmela, had you ever heard of the Fermi paradox? Uh, didn't you just send it to me? I did, but had you heard of it prior to me sending it to you? I heard you? of Fermi and I heard of Oppenheimer and I heard of all those guys, but I didn't hear about that. Uh, Dan, what is the Fermi? Dan, what is the Fermi paradox for those who don't know? For sure. So the Fermi paradox, we've actually already touched on it. The whole idea that there must be life out there is given by the Drake equation, which was made by someone very conservative when it comes to this idea that if if we're surrounded by life, where is it? And that's kind of the Fermi paradox. And there are so many different solutions and, and thoughts of school into how to solve that Fermi paradox, i.e. how do we get past that great filter if life is all around us? Where is it? Where could it be? But I think fundamentally, it kind of comes down to the idea of, you know, the universe is made of, and I'm going to use a really scientific term here, 95% of stuff that we don't know. Whether it's dark energy or dark matter, we just don't know what it is. So all of this space could have life in it that we just don't know how to define yet. And we're working our way towards that. That could be one solution. But fundamentally, the, the Fermi paradox is just saying, well, if life exists all around us, where is it? Um, more to cover, but I want to get to comments too. And I could talk about this for nine hours. Uh, Vinny's coming to us actually from the UK. So it's late. So Vinny, I understand, but, uh, I want you to stay on. If you have to go to bed, you let us know. Um, okay, great. Uh, Roxanne says, Dan, 
Uh, years ago, we had Area 13, I've never heard of this, off the 15 freeway in Las Vegas. The government took over and closed off the area. It's still closed. Any idea what went on there? That's odd. So I'm going to say three words here that you really hear someone in the UFO community say, I don't know. And I've noted that down. I will go and research it. Sometimes facilities are closed, you know, and roped off for, for no more than they might bury nuclear materials there. They might have an old missile silo there or technology that's left there that they don't want other people to, to kind of be poking around in. But that's kind of a base level. I wouldn't like to kind of say that's definitely what this is. But I've noted that down and I'm going to go teach myself about it. And maybe we can talk about it in the future. Excellent. Patty G. My friend is a commercial airline pilot for 30 years. And for the first time, he and his crew saw uh, unexplainable UAPs while flying at 40,000 feet at night from Japan to the West Coast. And the next comment after that is from Paula. I believe my dad, myself, and my daughter witnessed unexplained flying objects at different times. It was obvious they were not from Earth. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask about earlier, Vinny, when I announced we were doing this last week, there were some cynics in the chat room who said, jokingly, why is it only, you know, why does this only happen in the United States? But those people live in the United States. Um, that is a, a false premise, right? Uh, there are reportings all over the world. Am I correct, uh, Vinny? Absolutely. Absolutely. They've been reported all over the world for decades, if not if not longer. Um, you know, if you've got to look at sort of area by size and population, you know, uh, the U.S. Is, is leading this this front as far as talking about it with regards to the government you know we had project blue book back in the the 50s and 60s so, you know everyone looks at these these movies that feature aliens that come out of the u.s everything's always kind of pushed onto the u.s but it's certainly a, a global phenomenon absolutely and those who watch the show will know every friday i've got detective phil waters who worked more than 400 homicide cases about the most non no the most no-nonsense guy you will ever meet uh, just a die-in-the-wool law enforcement officer. Uh, when I told him I was doing the subject, he, he spends half the year in Hawaii. He says that on multiple instances, he believes he has seen UFOs uh, in the sky above him, stuff that he just cannot explain uh, in Hawaii. It actually made me nervous when he said that because he uh, he's not the kind of guy to say something if he didn't see it or didn't believe it. So it made me a little concerned. And uh, once again, as I always say, we are we are the future here. It is the next day in Adelaide, South Australia. Getting back to Grush and then a couple more things I'd like to cover, uh, Vinny. I'll go to, the, to you on this. So according to this complaint, July 2021, uh, David Grush confidentially provided classified information to the Department of Defense Inspector General about the withheld information. Uh, but David Grush believes his identity was disclosed. Now David Rush is filing a whistleblower complaint alleging that he suffered retaliation for disclosing uh, the confidential information. And then uh, the intelligence community inspector general came out and said publicly that he found this complaint to be credible and urgent. That happened in July of 22, uh, uh, July 2022, and a summary was given to the director of national intelligence the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, and the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. This is all according to David Grush. But uh, what does this mean in layman's terms as it pertains to this, uh, you know, this whistleblower 
um, complaint. Um, is he protected here? Is there a chance he's going to be, um, you know, indicted, face criminal charges? Where, where does any of this stand? Yeah. So the initial law protecting the whistleblowers came out in the National Defense Authorization Act. So for anyone that comes forward with information, no matter what level of classification, whether they have signed previous non-disclosure arrangements or agreements in the past through their work uh, within the military or, or the intelligence community, there will be no reprisals. They are protected by law. And, and then you have senators like Senator Marco Rubio, um, Kirsten Gillibrand, who have publicly stated that these people will not be reprised if they come forward. They are protected. Uh, Sherry's news, Carm. Carm is so intelligent. Always enjoy having Carm on the show. Joel, please take it easy. Carm is a beautiful woman and mother. Uh, she does no work, tries to take all of the credit, and is late. <laughs> you only have one mother. Please be easy on your mom. She is a sweetie, followed by this. Um, Joel, take some deep breaths. Breathe in for four. <laughs> Breathe out for four. Patty, it's just hard when I work all weekend. I don't take days off. And then my mother, who has one job, doesn't show. I love her. She's very smart, much smarter than I will ever be. As a matter of fact, I just beseeched her yesterday. Just yesterday, calm, true story or not, I called you and said, please do not die in the next 20, 30 years. I need you. I will not be able to function without my beautiful mother. Did I not say that, Carmela? And you said that I'm not going anywhere. I said that at this moment, I said I'm not going anywhere. Well, it's try to keep it that way, Carm. Uh, things, things could go very awry without you on this earth. Baby Doll says, group hug for Joel. Th thank you. Um, and look, it happens everywhere. Look at Janice Peace here. My father was near Washington, D.C., where I used to live in the 1960s and saw a UFO. Uh, when he got where he was going, others also claimed to see it. We're going to get to a similar story in just one moment. But back to David Grush, Jonathan Gray, who is a current United States intelligence official at the National Air and Space Intelligence Center, confirmed the existence of exotic, quote unquote, exotic materials to the debrief, adding, we are not alone. Dan, he went on to say, the non-human intelligence phenomenon is real. We are not alone. Retrievals of this kind are not limited to the United States. This is a global phenomenon, and yet a global solution continues to elude us. My question to you is, you know, how important, number one, is it that this guy, Jonathan Gray, who's a current U.S. intelligence official, came forward? Number two, how can he, uh, without getting in trouble, essentially? Very good questions. You know, Jonathan Gray, that's one of the things in this article that really stands out for me. An active member of the U.S. military or government and intelligence community confirming that is big. But for me, I kind of, I've said it already, you know, take it seriously, hold it lightly. Without seeing the evidence, I can't take Jonathan Gray at his word, but I'm extremely curious to see what he has to share with us. And I hope that in the future he will come forward. I have a feeling that people like Jonathan Gray, which, you know, that's a pseudonym, uh, kind of waiting to see how people like David are received and the response that he gets. Because when we talk about reprisals from them coming forward, we're not just talking about, you know, death threats and things like that and the men in black kind of coming out to get them. We're also talking about just people in the corridor passing comments or making their work environment harder. 
and it having an effect on their lives at home. Could be as much as passing them over for a promotion when they've kind of established a, a really robust career and a credible career. So th this is what we mean when we say reprisals. So Jonathan Gray might, depending on the reception of Grush, decide not to come forward. But I hope that's not the case because, you know, places like this, having this conversation properly and seriously uh, without really, you know, doing the usual tease and playing the X-Files music and stuff like that just lessens the stigma. And or, as we've already seen in the comments, people are sharing their own stories of, of seeing strange things. We're not here to judge whether they're telling the truth or not. We're here to say, okay, there, there seems to be something to this. There are thousands and thousands and millions probably of, of reports and experiences that people haven't reported. I think the stat was that one in 10 experiences get reported. So we, we need to take this seriously and, and start approaching it robustly. One of the ideas for this is to take it to the UN, essentially a, an independent place that can look at the data from all the countries and gather the best minds from all around the world and kind of say, okay, we're not beholden to the US classification system or any other country's classification system. We're gonna look at this in a free and open way. And the NASA UAP study is kind of as close as we've gotten to that. Some people don't trust NASA. You know, it's joked about that it stands for never a straight answer and that they've actually had uh, things that they've hidden from us. They promise us they haven't, but again, it's taking the government at their word. And that's going to vary person to person whether they trust the government. So establishing something outside of that is real important. And for me, that either going to the UN or going to someone like, Abby Loeb at Harvard University, where he's just leading the effort through science, uh, that, that's where we're going to progress and, and not be stymied by the government from progressing on this topic. Um, Vinny, do you, something my in wonderfully intelligent and beautiful mother said earlier about uh, organized religion, that kind of stuck with me. Um, do you happen to know if any organized religions, Catholicism, Judaism, uh, Islam, Buddhism, if they talk about, um, if it ever comes up um, about, you know, either alien spacecraft or, uh, you know, alien encounters, is there ever a mention of it in any of these religions, Vinny? There is, yeah. There are, you know, if we look at the Bible, um, there are certain stories in there that can be attributed to a, a very similar experience that someone might have to this day. A notable case is St. Francis of Assisi seeing some some burning sort of wheel in the sky um and of course that can be attributed to to a ufo these days i've been lucky enough to speak to dr diana pasolka who's a professor of religious studies who also has written about the ufo subject and draws a lot of comparisons between catholicism and sort of things that have been uh, written about in, in history with regards to to these kind of stories and uh She's made a lot of associations between between the two. So, yeah, it's absolutely out there. As far as any other religions, I'm not entirely sure. Um, it is an area that's slightly outside of my wheelhouse. Uh, and Vinny, uh, go ahead. I have a question. Um, uh, I'm trying to even grasp, even remotely, like on a very primitive level, the, uh, the, that the artificial intelligence is our most dangerous new thing that's that's hurling towards us how, how is it affecting ufos i mean one of the this is one of the theories that i suppose we haven't mentioned yet is that these could well be an artificial intelligence you know there's a thing that people talk about called the von neumann probe these are self-replicating objects that you know that could be left from a civilization that 
that ended a long time ago, or it's a civilization that have sent out these these uh, artificial intelligence probes to go and explore the universe, and and they could just keep going on and on forever because they are self-replicating. So artificial intelligence could play a huge part in what we think could be extraterrestrial life. Well, for um, example, uh, just a, a very, very small thing that I picked up through my days uh, where where they literally artificial intelligence today can write a song yeah when there is nobody writing it and and i bet that's real interesting for you Cam, that you you've gone essentially from a world that this doesn't exist in to now it's a matter of fact thing that artificial intelligence can you just know, create I, things i was born in 1939 what used to be yugoslavia and we didn't have cars. We didn't have. We had radio. We we had virtually very few phones in this small town. And and this is where I come from. This is the beginning of my of my life. That, that's what we we had as technology. And we, uh, of and um, we had electricity, but not on, in the villages surrounding this small town. There was still. You know, no no electricity was introduced into those places. And Carm, then you've gone from radio to uh, and horse and buggy, literally to ChatGBT, and I'm documenting it all, uh, Carm, in my book, Surviving the Survivor, a memoir about you, uh, where I have to poke and prod you to interview with me for a memoir about yourself. The joke is that the book will end up being about Joel. Uh, for those who don't know, and everyone does, because I've mentioned it many times, I have a book deal with a legitimate publisher, and I'm turning it in uh, in about six weeks' time. Um, and we just covered, uh, we did a chapter about technology and Carm's uh, take on all of it. It was very, very interesting. We should do, do one on extraterrestrials. We actually should. Everyone, uh, whatever else you want to hear Karm pontificate on, let me know and we'll try to get it in the book. Uh, Grunge Truck. Alien technology is probably using the speed of light. Um, and then we go here to Pirate Girl. My dad was a pilot for more than 50 years, private commercial military. He flew from the North Pole to the South Pole and he had some interesting stories. He felt like there must be uh, UAPs. Um Continuing on with David Grush, and there, there's still some more to cover, and I love these two guys. I'm, I'm very glad that uh, we've come upon them and that they are here tonight. Uh, the debrief spoke uh, to several of David Grush's former colleagues, each of whom vouched for his character. Carl E. Nell, a retired Army colonel, said that David Grush was beyond reproach, which I think Dan mentioned off the top. Uh, in 2022, a performance review a scene by the debrief described Grush as, quote-unquote, an officer with the strongest possible moral compass. Uh, Vinny, back to you. Uh, Nick Pope, he's a former employee at the British Ministry of Defense in your neck of the woods. He spent the early 1990s investigating UFOs uh, for the MOD, the Ministry of Defense. Uh, he said that Grush and what he had to say uh, and, and Gray's uh, backing of him was very significant. He says, it's one thing to have stories on the conspiracy blogs, but this takes it to the next level with genuine insiders coming forward. There was a comment that I glossed over 
saying, you know, I always get excited when we hear the stories and then, you know, it just goes back to whatever. Have we have we turned the proverbial corner here? And what's this all like in the UK where you are uh, an ocean's distance away? I mean, the UK always tend to follow the US, but the one thing they've not done is, is the government isn't really talking about this subject at all. You know, we have mainstream media who pick up on the stories that are coming from across the pond, and that's always great. But we, we certainly could do with the, the, both the Ministry of Defence and the government talking about it. And, and myself and Dan, being part of UAP Media UK, we do contact sort of our representatives on a fairly regular basis to try and ask the questions to see why aren't you talking about it and to really sort of, uh, you know, tell them that, that the people want to hear from them on this subject. Sorry, was there a first part to that question as well? Uh, I don't know, because I was just reading 20 hate <laughs> comments directed at me from my mother, and Patty's one <laughs> of them, and she says that Carm should have beat Joel when he was little. She never did that. Um, but everyone is yelling at me once again. Is it um, too late? What's that, Carm? Is it too late? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, back, <laughs> back to the Pentagon. Uh, so they came out, uh, Dan, to you, a woman named Susan Gao. Uh, she works for the Department of Defense. Um, she said in an email response, of course, it's in an email, Dan, uh, right after Gr uh, Grush said all this, that, quote unquote, no verifiable information to substanti substantiate the claims uh, is available. Uh, she is a mouthpiece for the Pentagon's All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, which Dan described. Uh, the acronym is AARO, their section of the Department of Defense. Uh, she went on to say, to date, AARO has not discovered any verifiable information to substantiate claims that any programs regarding the possession or reverse engineering of extraterrestrial materials have existed in the past or exist currently. Um, Dan, is it a win for you just the fact that the Department of Defense had to react at all? And uh, is it any surprise that they are deflecting and playing uh, defense here? So it's always great to get officials on record, even, even if they don't agree or they're trying to kind of use Weasley language to get around the question uh, like Susan Goff has there. Um, it's always good to get them on record to hold them to account down the line, no matter what happens. One of the things that really stands out in that statement is that Susan keeps referring to Arrow and David Grush worked in the UAPTF, which was three years before Arrow and, and was defunct. It was replaced by another, another organization. So really, they're not answering the question at all. And they're just avoiding the question and saying, well, we have a different office now and they haven't found this. As Vinny already explained, the new office doesn't have what's called Title 50 access which would give them access to a lot of information and also help them to compel organizations like the Air Force to give them the information they want. Without that, it's really hard to take them saying there's no credible evidence seriously because they don't have the powers they need to to investigate this fully. In a recent hearing where Sean Kirkpatrick, the head of Arrow, testified to a number of members of Congress, they actually brought up the Title 50 issue. So I would be, expect that in the National Defense Authorization Act this year, we'll see some new language that does grant them the powers of Title 50. And so they can start digging in a bit further. Last year, we essentially had the, the you, you know, the concept of the carrot and the stick. We essentially had the carrot last year to say, hey, if you've been working on this, come forward. There's no reprisals. We just want to hear what you have to hear and we'll protect you. 
This year, I think it's going to be a little bit more of the stick, which is if you don't come forward on this and we find out that you've been working on it, there's going to be jail time. There's going to actually be, you know, consequences for withholding this information. So it, it's really in an interesting place right now where we can't say that this information doesn't exist. So they have to say things like there's no credible evidence. And then, you know, we'll fire an email to Susan and say, well, what does credible mean, Susan, on, on your behalf? And she won't be able to explain it. She'll, you know, work around the issue again. It, it's an ongoing cat and mouse game that's been going since 2017. But it's great that they have in the dialogue because it brings, you know, an air of official investigation to it, which is reflective of the actual situation. We do have a UFO office. And my, from my experience in the media. Joa? Yeah. Would you, would you read again what she said at the beginning? I would love to. She says, uh, to date, AARO has not discovered any verifiable information to substantiate claims that any programs regarding the possession or reverse engineering of extraterrestrial materials have existed in the past or exist currently. And then it goes on. She says, this is the funny part. AARO welcomes the opportunity to speak with any former or current government employee or contractor who believes they have information relevant to the historical review. Um, you know, Dan says that this is a cat and mouse game. Um, this is, you know, it's been going on since the beginning of media and uh, government. Um, you know, we would ask questions, the not related to this, but they just the, don't answer. The language is ambiguous. The language is, you could yeah. like, it leaves gaps, you know, it's like. It, yeah, it's uh, it's called CYA, Carm. That's an acronym, acronym for cover you or you know what. Um Miss Wee Lassie says, OMG, STS Nation, I'm loving tonight's live. Apart from crime trials, UFO discussion is my favorite top topic. Scotland loves you. Uh, I'm going to stay on this. I'm going to stay in close touch with these guys, Dan and Vinny. We're going to crack this case together. Uh, these interview panels are so interesting, and your guests are fantastic. Joel, I'm begging you, beseeching you, asking you kindly. Please consider treating your mother with the same respect you give your other guests. I guarantee she knows more than you. My mother's IQ is at least 100 points higher never, than me. What? This is, it, you never said it before. Nonsense. I, you write beautifully. You, you. Carl speaks different languages. I speak stop, one. Stop it. Stop it. Stop I it. I speak <laughs> British. Um, Raul Thomas, by the way. Tali in Israel had a great idea. She said that you should have a cardboard cut out of me. I might have to get one made and sent to you. Karma's going to host a show with Joel's cardboard figure in the background and other universe. Um, still more to cover, and I don't want to let these guys go. So, Karm, uh, you might fall asleep first. But big story this week, too, which you have to Google to believe. Uh, GTB, Google to believe. That's my new acronym. Los, this was uncovered this week, but happened April 30th. Las Vegas police officers got a 911 call with unknown entities falling from the sky in late April that a family reported something not human was roaming in their backyard. An officer drives to a home on the night of April 30th in the greater Las Vegas metropolitan area, and he interviews the family who called 911 after a sighting. This family member says that they saw a quote-unquote big creature that was long, 10 feet tall. Then the officer told the family he was looking into the claims because another officer saw something in the sky that matched the family's description from eight minutes earlier. 
The responding police officer says, I'm not going to BS you guys. One of my partners said they saw something fall out of the sky too. So that's why I'm kind of curious. It's weird just the fact that our partner saw something at the exact same time. A nearby resident then also calls 911 to report something, quote unquote, 100% not human on their property. Uh, when you look at this, and uh, I'm sure Vinny and Dan have watched this, on the officer's body cam footage, you see a green orb moving, and you can tell that the police officers are kind of rattled. Uh, the second 911 call, the person literally says, and I quote here, there's like an eight-foot person beside it, and another one is inside, and it has big eyes, and it's looking at us, and it's still there. Uh, I'm in my back. They're in my backyard. I swear to God, this is not a joke. This is actually blah, blah, blah. We're terrified. And when you listen to this and watch it in real time, it appears to be 100% genuine. Um, Vinny, what do you make of this? It's an interesting story. I've been I've been following it over the past few days. Um, unfortunately, it is another case where we get sort of video that is quite blurry. It doesn't really show 100% proof. There, uh, there, there have been some analysis done. Um, I'm sort of keeping an eye on it. Uh, you know, we've got police officers talking about seeing things here. And, you know, not to dismiss the, the witnesses themselves, but when you get people like police officers involved that, you know, they are stand up people in the community, you know, you, you take things a little bit more seriously, but like I said, this is an ongoing case. I, I think we'll see how it develops. I, I'm not, I'm not ready to go with the, I want to believe this case just yet, but I'll certainly bear it in mind. And uh, Dan to you, I have to ask your take on the uh, tall Las Vegas aliens. I mean, so this was an interesting one for me because there's, it's almost an interesting social study when some of these videos come out to see how they spread. You know, you look at something like Roswell many years ago, and we didn't have the communication system around the world that we have now. So, you know, they say a lie can travel around the world before the truth can get its pants on. So we have to remember that and remember that people are going to be taking different takes from it. Even when we watch, say, a game of baseball, we can both see the same thing take place and both think that it's a different thing happening, right? We can say that's a foul or that's not a foul. So we have to remember that the witnesses aren't infallible. But again, we have to take it at face value and look at it. I've been traveling kind of down the East Coast from Vermont, and now I'm in uh, Myrtle Beach. And I was in New Jersey yesterday as well. So loved it. Big up New Jersey. Um, State. Yeah, beautiful place. So I've only really seen the beginning and end of this, or rather where it is now, where it went from, wow, there are eight foot alien beings and an orb. And now when I look, it seems to be, okay, there are some questionable things about this case and we kind of have to keep looking into it because maybe one person there isn't telling the truth and making it look a bit more substantial than it is. So it's yet another case where a million questions are raised. We can't really answer any of them without reading people's minds. So we have to just follow the data and look at how it plays out. Uh, this is a very interesting question to me uh, and Vinny to you from Carolina Garcia. In your view, how might the discovery of non-human intelligence influence international relations? Could this potentially unite nations or create further divisions? It's a very, very good question. It could go either way. Dan mentioned earlier that if this technology gets into the wrong hands, it could certainly create further d d divisions with the uh, 
war on a scale that we haven't seen before. But at the same time, it could well unite humanity, you know, to to sort of move start moving us forward to become a, a spacefaring civilization. Like so, yeah, yeah. I'm open to sort of uh, wanting the the friendlier side to come out with all of this, uh, absolutely. But you know, I think at the end of the day, the eagle has landed. They're here, and let's just hope that we get positives from it. Uh, the agile equestrian uh, calm question: Are you buying this stuff? This stuff being extraterrestrials. Yes. Yes, I am buying it. That there are so many planets in so many solar systems that have the same uh, uh, condition, uh, climatic and and. Uh, soil and everything is similar to our planet and it's absolutely to me impossible that we are the only ones As to me that's impossible the fact that we don't communicate and uh, there is there are issues of communication i can understand but that they are the universe is too huge for this tiny little planet that's going around this relatively small sun and that's the only one where there are uh, human beings and monkeys. It's very difficult for me to, to imagine. Uh, Christina Jones, Joel, why are you so easily irritated by your mother? It doesn't reflect well on your character. There's a lot of other things that don't reflect well on my character. Thank God uh, Sarah, Ski Hat Sarah's here. Christina Jones, they tease each other. They definitely very much love each other. I do love my mother. She's my only mother and uh, has been a very good mother. Continues to be a good mother. I just get irritated when I work hard to put a show together and she's late. So uh, maybe I need a therapist. I don't know. We all need one, I guess. Um, getting close to the end here. Um, Vinny and Dan, you keep mentioning 2017. And I, granted, I've been a little distracted by the, by the hate side of the chat, but in 2021, uh, the Pentagon released a report on UAPs, um, which found more than 140 instances of UAP encounters that could not be explained. And that's also, I believe, when these air uh, military pilots came out, uh, we were seeing, and, and they were on 60 Minutes. Um, how how important was that, Vinny? Um, I know in the United States, obviously, 60 Minutes is the most watched uh, news magazine show, and you had these pilots coming together, you know, basically blowing their own whistle. Um, is this just building on top of that? And and if you can, just reiterate why 2017 was sort of a seminal time in this whole uh, context. Yeah, absolutely. Towards the, uh, the middle of December in 2017, the New York Times published this story, which broke, uh, it was a breaking story on the existence of a secret UFO program within the Pentagon uh, ran by a guy called Luis Elizondo uh, that looked at the UFO subject. Um, and around that same time, they released three, uh, three videos of UAP that were filmed from US fighter jet platforms with infrared. Um, and then we had pilots coming forward following that. And these are trained observers. These, would, these are the kind of people that have thousands of hours of flight time and they know what to look for in the sky and they were coming across these objects that were performing strange maneuvers uh, and they shouldn't have been in these sensitive training areas where where the military pilots were, were flying 
Um, and it's it's escalated from there. You know, I've seen a few people here in the chat saying that they know pilots who have uh, said they've seen things. I've spoken to a lot of pilots, both private, commercial as well, that have come forward with their own stories, some even with photographs. And I think that we're seeing this knock-on effect of, of pilots coming forward. Uh, it's, just, it's just continuing and adds more weight and credibility to the subject. Uh, Stephanie Ella, who's watching us in Barcelona, Spain, back in the 80s when we were kids, my cousins and I saw a UFO above our grandparents' house in Whitefield, New Hampshire. This was years before I even knew about Barney and Betty Hill, by the way. There's a UFC fighter, Angie Overkill Hill. It was her grandparents who are uh, Barney and Betty Hill. And uh, I interviewed her when she was first coming up in the UFC. Had no idea um, until I found that out one day. I thought that was interesting. Um, Dan, to you, good evening from Montreal. Are abductions included in your research? Do you look into that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, abductions, uh, they, they're kind of an integral part of the UFO law. People have claimed for a long, long time that they've been taken by beings not of this world. Where they have gone, um, the, the stories vary. You know, Some claim to be have taken inside the Earth. Other ones claim to be taken on craft and shown the universe from afar. One of the, the most famous ones is a gentleman named Travis Walton. And someone asked about this earlier. There's a, there's a movie called Fire in the Sky that kind of documents his abduction. Um, and the one thing I'd say with that is that Hollywood dramatized that abduction to be, it's kind of almost a horror film. And I saw it as a four-year-old while channel surfing and it just traumatized me and it stuck with me. But the actual event had Travis being taken on board a ship and, and helped by the beings. You know, it wasn't a negative experience. And then he was returned after being fixed. It kind of zapped him when he got too close, basically on the ground. And then they took him, helped him and brought him back. So there were all these different, ways of interpreting abductions some people think it might just be a aspect of our consciousness that that we're removed for a second from whatever time space we exist in right now the ideas get really lofty but what is what is easy to agree with is that you know a lot of people claim to have been taken throughout history for hundreds and hundreds of years this isn't a new phenomena so eventually this conversation is going to get to that place but it's a really scary place because if the if the US government right now are kind of gonna come out and say, we don't know, when it comes to the subject of abductions, that essentially means we don't know how to keep you safe. We don't know that your walls and doors protect you anymore because this technology can kind of remove you from your bedroom in the middle of the night and take you to some other place. It's a real pinch point in the conversation that's gonna be have to have to be handled re real deftly. Um, but that's ahead of us and, and I wouldn't like to say whether they're real or not, but People have had these experiences that, that are going to have to be looked into data-wise at some point. And uh, we're going to start to wrap it up and uh, take a couple more questions. But uh, for those who do not know, uh, the man in the disclosure team hat, which I want, is Vinny Adams. He is a UK-based UFO UAP researcher. He is the founder of Disclosure Team. It's a social media platform and YouTube channel covering many aspects of the UFO phenomenon. So please check out his YouTube channel. Again, Disclosure Team, uh, as you can tell, uh, he is the real deal. He's also a boots on the ground investigator. Uh, JP Barlow, to you, uh, Vinny, with all the information coming out in the last week or so, why, how has mainstream media not reported on any of this? They have a little bit. Are they just ignoring it because of the stigma attached? Um, we talk about lagging economic indicators, you know, something happens and then, and then the economy uh, catches up um, or, or the data, I should say, catches up. Uh, does the media lag behind um, in terms of covering this sort of thing in a similar vein? 
They've not actually been that bad this week. We've seen some big big publications come out, and here in the UK as well, The Guardian and The Independent, who uh, they don't like to touch this subject very often. So when they do, the, you know, that's really saying something. Uh, like the New York Times, we've had Fox News cover it. I, I don't. I know people have a lot of uh, things to say about some of the the news stations out in the US, but yeah, it has been covered. I think there may be certain aspects of the media that haven't touched upon it because we're still waiting for this interview to happen. That's probably happening about or airing right now as we speak. So maybe in the coming week or two, we'll start seeing more uh, outlets picking up on it. I think it all depends on what is actually said or what comes from the interview. Yeah, as a former media guy, I can guarantee you there will be many headlines tomorrow from this interview tonight. Kudos to News Nation, a uh, relatively uh, fledgling new news network to uh, to break this. Uh, Dan Zedestrom coming to us from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina tonight. He's co-host of that UFO podcast. He's uh, boots on the ground UAP investigator. He appeared in the documentary Phenomenology. He's also a creative like Carmela, who specializes in art and clothing based around anomalous encounter, spiritual ideas, and other high strangeness. Carm, uh, do you consider yourself, you are a creator at 83, 84, albeit I do most of the creating, but Carm, do you consider yourself a creator? I, I am the creator of Arden and You. Excellent. Um, <laughs> This is apparently a rapper. I did not know this. My wife informed me in a car uh, ride today or yesterday that everyone was making fun of me, that I am not T-Pain. I think I said I am not in pain, <laughs> but I guess T-Pain is a rapper. Um, I am just not in the loop anymore. Uh, does anyone think that this is weird, how people in the past were looked at as crazy for believing in aliens, but now the media and government is pushing this narrative heavily right now? Uh Dan, I'm not sure how she's asking this question, to be totally honest, or he, um, but someone earlier said, "Is and I could tell they're being sarcastic, saying, you know, is it coincidental that this is all coming out as, the, you know, uh, I guess Ukraine is ready to embark on an offensive uh, against Russia in that war? Is, I mean, how do you respond to that? Is, is there, you know, people are always looking for a reason for something like this to come out so how do you respond it's a real good question and it comes up real often what what i tend to kind of lean on is the fact that you know the gov the u.s government budget balloons every year the military budget just goes up and up we've only just seen the kind of congress having an arm wrestle over over approving the budget for this year and and you know they were worried the economy was going to crash and so on and so forth so i would just emphasize that the uap issue the, these offices have been funded with, you know, 500,000 or a million or 10 million. That's a drop in the bucket when compared to hundreds of billions of dollars going towards the military. If they wanted more money for the military, there are much better ways to get more money than just kind of the UFO issue. But people are also correct to kind of look at it suspiciously and kind of say, well, you know, the, the war in Ukraine is going on. Why, why wouldn't they be trying to get more money? And, and to that, I just emphasize that, you know, this has been going on this level with the New York Times involved and media and, you know, so on and so forth since 2017. So it was going before the Ukraine stuff happened. So just remember that when you're kind of thinking about this stuff um, and, and realize that it even goes back before that. It's just that we don't really talk about it because the, the nice thing about what Sean Kirkpatrick from AARO kind of brings up now is that 
we're looking at cases with multiple sensor readings. This isn't just one eyewitness now. It's not just one camera. It's an infrared camera. It's a zoomed-in camera from orbit. It's pilots witnessing this thing with their eyes and kind of the ships in the vicinity being able to track these things with their radar and other independent sensors on shore kind of backing up those stories. So the preponderance of evidence now is starting to point one way that there's something else here, whether that's ET, whether it's a group of humans that have some technology that has far surpassed the highest spending military budget country on the planet. We don't know. But after what happened with the Chinese balloon shootdowns and the following shootdowns after that, it's clear that the airspace isn't as secure as we thought it was. And therefore, we kind of need to, to have a bit of a do-over and a bit of a review on how we protect that airspace and, and look at the objects that are in it and, and properly define them instead of assuming what's there. Uh, Lindsey Grace, wow, I love this change of pace for SGS. So good. We're going to stay on. We're going to invite these two gentlemen back. We are going to we're going to break this case with Dan and Vinny. We're going to change the world. I have uh, no lower expectations. Uh, just one or two quick ones here. Channeling the heart uh, appears to be quite a cynic. Uh, the whistleblower is part of a larger plan. Deep State wants this to come out to set up a UFO threat narrative. Vinny, uh, Dan responded to the other one. How do you react to this? I mean, people have their own thoughts, and that's absolutely fine. The, the whole threat narrative has been blown out of proportion. It originated from these pilots seeing these things in their restricted airspace. They are a potential threat to flight safety. And I've had this conversation with commercial pilots as well. These things are flying very close to airplanes. Does it have to? Does a crash have to occur for the for this to be taken seriously, or or, or can we talk about it now that they are a potential? air safety hazard a potential threat it's not that these are aliens coming to potentially threaten us with extinction the threat word can be used in many different ways and sometimes it gets blown out of proportion when talking about this as far as the deep state goes i think when it comes to conspiratorial things like that i tend to kind of take a, a little step back because uh, there's not really any data or evidence that that leans that way i think it comes down to personal belief uh ski hat sarah my friend a question to you dan what proof would it take to completely turn the table over? Such an interesting question. And, and I'd even go further and say not just what proof, but who would need to provide it to be trusted by everyone. As we've established already, not many people trust the government. So if Biden was to come out, President Biden, and say he is a, you know, a crash UFO, would people even believe him, given that generative AI exists where it can create pictures and we have things like Photoshop and things like that now? Would people even trust a video or picture? You know, we, we don't trust our own eyes these days. So we need to start looking to the experts and these people will come forward. And I think the kind of people who will provide said proof are people that we haven't met yet. We, uh, we had Dr. Nadia Drake from the NASA UAP study on the podcast this week, and we put this question to her, you know, what, what would constitute proof? And for her, the explanation was, you'd need signatures, you'd need to detect DNA, you'd need to watch these things go back to their home planet or home base and establish them as something other. And that's not something that would be established by, you know, me taking a picture of a UFO out the window right now, no matter how clear it was. All I would be able to say is, that's a flying thing, and I don't know where it's from. So it's a real good question. And it's why we need to kind of keep such an open mind, because the, the correct proof for this is, is up for debate. And this is a debate. You know, we're, we're not here kind of telling anyone aliens exist. We're just saying something strange is in the sky and it needs to be taken seriously, 
because the evidence is just mounting up now to the point where we can't deny it. Carm, this one's for you, and then we'll wrap it up. I see your eyes are starting to glaze over. It's getting late for you, my dear mother, my lovely dear mother. By the way, your shot composition looks very nice, Mom. Looks great. Uh, Ac be accidents happen. What would? <laughs> she's quick too. 80, almost 84. She's super quick. What would be the psychological effect on humanity if this all came to fruition, Carm? You're the licensed therapist. This is probably something that people give a lot of thought to. Um, I haven't given uh, uh, depends if they are positive experiences or negative experiences. If this is positive experiences, it's very reassuring that we are not alone, you know, because uh, my husband, may he rest in peace, he used to say, Carmela, did we pay our gravity bill? Because, you know, he didn't want to fall off the planet. So the planet is so small and so vulnerable in my perception that it would be very reassuring if they, they are nice extraterrestrials, if they would be nice to us to have people out there or extraterrestrials, not people, forget the word people, extraterrestrials out there who who are who we can count on like our distant cousins <clears throat> if they are bad that, that wouldn't be fun if they would be bad you know, it would be a negative experience Dina Renee uh, you crack me up Carm I love her I'm not sure if she's implying that you're the accident meaning me I think she probably was implying that um Carm made me laugh for reals, R-E-A-L-Z. Carm, that is uh, slang talk there. Caroline Garcia, much love, Carm. I'm not even reading the comment, but I am. Guys, guys, I'm only on on Mondays. Sundays. So, Sundays. I'm only on Sundays. And the rest of the week, he goes every night uh, without so, I get a lot of attention on Sundays. Thank Carm, you. I love Carm, it. Have you ever heard of uh, the rapper T-Pain, Carm? Because I had not. I'm just wondering if you have. I'm going to Google it. I'm a great at Googling things. Um, and look at this. It just keeps coming in. Analysts that scientists now think the Tunguska blast, which I'd never heard of, was an asteroid that skimmed our atmosphere. Lots of damage from something that never uh, landed. Quick programming note here uh, before we say goodbye. Um be back tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern time, back to true crime, what we do best. Uh, we will be covering Brian Koberger. There is new news. We've got Tara Malik from Boise, Idaho, an attorney, criminal defense attorney. You know her. Uh, Greg Scordis, amazing criminal defense attorney from Salt Lake City. And Joni Johnston, new to the show, a criminal profiler who's going to come on and talk to some of the psychological aspects of Brian Koberger tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern time um vinnie your final thoughts on this evening and uh will we ever get a definitive answer on all this uh yeah i like to remain positive and believe that we will get to the truth in my lifetime uh yeah i'm quite optimistic and i just want to say thank you both for a fantastic conversation and dan as always it's a pleasure my good friend uh dan uh look at this yuck i hate true crime well sandra g you're probably gonna hate our channel so you should uh watch 
that UFO podcast and uh, Disclosure Team. Uh, make sure you check out these guys' channels. Um, Dan, thank you for doing this. Thank you for hustling to get me Vinny. Um, your final thoughts and will we have an answer one day in our lifetimes, um, including Carm's lifetime, <laughs> which hopefully will be another 90 years. That's stretching it, Dan. You doesn't have <laughs> I, I hope we have an answer soon and we're closer than ever to getting it. Even if, you know, the work doesn't stop when we find out that something else is out there, then it becomes about cosmic sociology, cosmic biology, studying these things and learning a little about ourselves in the process. It's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you guys and to hear your opinions on it. Calm, you're extremely switched on and, and I respect your science knowledge there and, and the change in the world that you've gone through. And it makes me wonder what the world is going to look like 100 years from now for, for me and for other people that are you know, maybe younger listening to this conversation as well. The last it, 100 years, it made accelerate its, its speed. You know, it's... I think so. It's kind of that exponential curve, right? And and that's only going to continue. You know, we'll give it give it thirty years, and we'll have brain implants, experience on our own version of reality as, as we see fit. Um, I, I've seen a few people ask how they can kind of get in touch. So I would just say you can email me at the signal at protonmail.com. It's like the signal, but with a Z instead of an S. The signal is also my handle on Twitter um, and Instagram. Vinny, you can find a disclosure team on Twitter and Instagram as well, and. In terms of just a final message to people, I just say, you know, keep an open mind. Be curious because the universe is so much bigger than we know. Uh, by the way, Ketchup says, please bring Dan and Vinny back. Uh, on the record, gentlemen, Vinny, will you come back soon? 100%. And Dan? No, I hate it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's been an incredible conversation. I would be honored to come back. And thank you so much for inviting us. Thank you, guys. And, and, someone, and someone real quickly, just remind me right here, old lady Snoop, thank you so much. Tuesday night and all the uh, and, and all the emotion of tonight, I got uh, carried away and forgot to remind you, we are going to have Larry and Kay Woodcock, uh, the grandparents of J.J. Vallow, and they consider Ty Lee their grandchild as well, uh, in the Lori Vallow Daybell case, along with Gigi McKelvey. That is Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time. What a great panel. It's just starting to rain here in Australia. Thank you so much, Carm, Joel, Vinny, Dan. Excellent show. Love you, America. Thank you, everyone. Love you, the uh, UK. Love you, Australia. Love you, uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Carolina. Love you the most, New Jersey, where I was raised. Love you, Miami, where I am now. Guys, hang on one sec. Until next time, everyone. Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business 
to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.